0: Welcome to the rent to retirement podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at rent to retirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy carefree retirement. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, renter Retires! Thank you so much for joining us again today. This is Adam Schrader here with Zach Lamaster, and we have a whole host of things to talk with you about with real estate, and hopefully, we'll get around to uh, how to pick a market as well. But first off, Zach, how you doing? Doing well. Adam, kid is uh,
0: starting to sleep a little bit more, so that's good. And uh, <laughs> you know, we're coming into fall, kind of Q four. 2021, and it's kind of interesting to see really over the past couple of years how things are constantly changing. We actually received some good news in the lending space just last week. There is this Fannie Mae Freddie Mac guideline about you know only being able to have so many so so much of a percentage of your loans in investment properties. That was seven percent. was a huge limitation limitation for. A lot of our lenders that caused some pricing uh, chaos and that uh, regulation has since been removed. We're starting to see it come through fruition now. And basically it means better pricing and better options for for lending. So that's the, the positive as of late.
1: Yeah. And if anybody's interested in a little bit more about that, we talked with our lender, Aaron Chapman, about that some early in uh, September. So you can go back and listen to that show. He's going to he talked a bit about what that will probably do. And. We will uh, obviously continue to talk about it as it uh, as it presents itself and as it goes through the market. But I wanted to start with some real estate news. This uh, probably everybody saw real estate data in general lags everything because, well, like all government data and all data that's collected is obviously goes in the back. But people have probably been hearing that the August housing starts were better than expected, and housing starts increase even though there are still material and labor shortages. But if you looked into the numbers a little bit, they were pretty interesting because one of the things that happened is if you looked 20, only 25% of the new homes that were sold in July were completely built. So this is still a situation where people are buying, but people aren't moving yet. It's really kind of an interesting dynamic. And this was down a year ago. Uh, it was 40% of new homes sold were, Completely finished, but now we're down to twenty five percent. So this is telling me, Zach, that it's still not too late to uh, to go in there and look at these new construction properties because you're still in the market. You know, nobody else is getting a completed house either.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, that's just one one stat to look and kind of the overall trend. But a lot of people that are signing leases or purchasing these properties. It's during the construction process. And so I think that's probably in part to what's creating the statistic as well as a simple fact that uh, because there's such a shortage, people are purchasing these throughout the construction process, taking out construction financing, doing it all cash, whatever the case is, simply because they want to secure something now. And and that's rather smart simply because if they wait as well, if they don't secure pricing right now, it's absolutely going to be higher down the, <laughs> down the road, you know, at a later date.
1: Yeah, and there was also a number that said that uh, there was a 50% increase in the number of single family units permitted, but not started compared to a year ago. And this continues a trend among builders, where builders have been holding off unsure about what their future is going to be. And also because of the appreciation that's been happening, unsure about, you know, all of their pricing, what they're going to be able to get. And so there's a whole lot of homes that have been permitted that builders just aren't starting right now, which is continuing that drag that we have on inventory. And it's not something, I mean, until the supply chain issue gets resolved, that's, I don't think, that's not going away. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm glad you brought that
0: up because it's really not, it's not about builders not wanting to get started um, just because they're seeing some fluctuation. We've seen some some normalization in things like lumber and, and things like this over the, in different materials over the past year, but we are still dealing with the supply chain issues like a lot of industries. And it's not that the builders aren't wanting to, I mean, maybe there's some that are have reservations about taking on more than they can handle, um, with an unforeseen end in date or end in mind. But, uh, but there's really the supply chain issues. And I think that's important for, the average investor to know it's like, well, what does this mean to me? Um, And basically if now is an exceptional time to still invest in new construction for the other statistics we looked at and the the appraisals and appreciation we're seeing over time, but there's more than likely going to be delays. If you're expecting eight months, (laughs) I would just tack on another 50% to that, you know, call a year Um, when that's okay. You know, that's something to just factor in and just simply be patient. It's, it's part of the game.
1: Absolutely, we we went under contract on one of our new constructions back in August of 2020 that we're being told will close mid October of this year. Um, I'm expecting more likely to be November-ish, but uh, it's been a, it's a it's a long journey. But you just have to accept that it'll get built when it's built, and everybody else's properties are taking just as long, if not longer, to be completed. So you're not really missing out on anything except just the delay of wanting to get it closed and wanting to get it closed and someday it will close and it'll be a good property. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just got to be patient, right? And it's frustrating. I get it sometimes
0: when you have an expectation of a house being completed at a certain time frame, and it's two months beyond that. And you know maybe there's nothing happening during that time, especially if it's in permitting, we're waiting for permitting and there is no update to give. Um, you're always welcome to reach out and we'll provide updates to you. Uh, but just have some faith that you know builders and everyone are doing what they need to do behind the scenes. They will provide you updates when there's updates to give. Expect delays. And right now, that's not such a bad thing, actually, because yes, not having a house completed three months earlier when it was supposed to means three months of rental income. But also, if you're doing a refi or something like that, that's three months of, of appreciation, which in this kind of market dynamic, that can make a big difference, you know, and so uh, there's pros and cons. It's still big picture, excellent investment. You just have to be patient. And the entire world is, I think, the second or second largest builder in China just shut down, actually, um, this last week. And so, I mean, there, we're seeing this supply chain issue is a international thing that's causing delays. And so it's not like the builders are just <laughs> sitting around twiddling their thumbs with nothing to do. Just
1: understand that, please. Yeah, and especially in today's market, with rental increases, I mean, just delaying it two or three months can see your rent increase drastically. I mean, I know I've talked about mine before, but we had just a three-month gap between our first and second new construction close, same neighborhood, $30 a month in rent increase. So, I mean, you're, you're not just having to wait. The tenants are having to wait as well. The prospective tenants and rents are being pushed up. So, there's good news on that front as well.
0: Let me say one more thing since we're kind of talking about new construction on that. To give real-world examples and numbers of what we're looking at right now, um, <clears throat> we started opening up the Southwest Florida Cape Pearl stuff about a year ago uh, to, to investors. We were building there you know, years before that for, for ourselves. Um, and once we had kind of a proven system, we started opening it up to other tertiary investors in our network. So those houses are just starting to get completed. And the four twos, Adam. I think they were selling for like those sixteen hundred square foot models at that point in time a year ago. They were selling for, I I think it's two, call it two thirty, two forty, um, and that included land. Now land was also about seven to ten thousand dollars a lot. So call it, you're into it for two thirty to two forty. Those rents we projected were eighteen hundred dollars a month on a four two. Well, now it comes to you know. Eight to twelve months later, when they're actually getting completed, and our managerial uh, team is leasing these out before they're even completed. About thirty days to co, at anywhere from two thousand, some of as high as twenty two hundred uh, a month. So that's an ex- significant. Some people are achieving four hundred dollars more a month than they anticipated. And their house is is probably worth about three forty, which could have been a hundred thousand dollars of equity. I mean, the prices are higher now, but and we're projecting the higher rents now, but a year from now and things like this, it just shows you how strong of a market it is. I wanted to share the real world example. Yeah,
1: thank you. And this was one of the things that interested me is when I continued reading this article, it talks about how even though the housing starts are up, a lot of it is being driven by the multifamily permits and multifamily housing starts. The actual number, they had to revise it down in July And the number of single family housing starts is dropping. So we are seeing an increase in inventory, but a lot of that inventory is being driven by the multifamily market, not the single family market. The single family market isn't bad, but that's not picking up. It's not quite as much good news as we were originally hearing. So that's going to, as we've discussed before, that's going to lead to a continued inventory crunch. It's going to lead to, you know, more demand as people, Just want something to live in. You know, if their their lease is coming up and they want to buy a property, they've got to find something. And the new stuff isn't being built as much. It's, and most, you know, homeowners aren't going to be looking for a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex to to move into. You know, they're not going to be house hacking for the most part. Um, Some may, but most of them aren't. So just know that a lot of this growth is being fueled by the multifamily market, which has been underserved as well in recent years. So who knows, maybe that'll actually get up to uh, a a decent amount of inventory as well. And these are natural statistics that we're looking at, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, these are all national, but, you know, it's obviously a lot of the growth has been in the Southeast, um, you know, in the Florida, Alabama, those states, you know, some of it is obviously happening up in the Northeast and the West Coast, but not not as much, but a lot of it is just being driven there. I I would assume if we pulled um, individual state numbers that there's a lot of new construction, single families going on down in Florida. I can't imagine Florida new home construction for single family is dropping because that market is (laughs) about as hot as you can get. So that would be interesting to kind of look at. Maybe we'll do
0: another segment where it's very market specific for some of the, you know, the top five markets we work in and we can look at you know, specific trends in in those areas, I think that'd be interesting to look at, because we're all the time we're getting questions about, well, you know, why is this a good area to invest in? Um, You know, off the record here, someone, uh, a lot of times people, I've I've had a little bit of feedback, and you know, the people are liking more information, but they're kind of like, well, what do I do with this? What does this actually mean? And how is this applicable? You know what I mean? So, tying it back to a specific market or something like that, what I think would be beneficial.
1: Yeah, definitely. So another thing that I wanted to look at is the, uh, I found this interesting article talking about renter markets and they're picking up in the suburbs. Now this is something that we're going to delve into when we talk about finding a market. And that is that America is becoming more and more a renter nation. And this is across the country, you know, it pretty much doesn't matter where I believe I saw even Beverly Hills recently became a renter's market, um, increasing over 50% for the first time ever. And between 2010 and 2019 or 2020, which is when the uh, Census Bureau came out with their data, they found that 4.7 million new residents came into the market and 3.7 million of them were renters. So that is a huge, you know, nationally that is about what 80% almost 75 to 80% of the new people coming into the market are renters and if you looked at what happened to all of the markets they analyzed over 1100 markets and they found that 103 markets changed into from owner dominated to renter dominated and only 4 only 4 markets transition from renter dominated to owner dominated. So America is becoming a huge renter nation and it's some it's a trend that is not going to be turning around anytime soon. This is huge. This is probably the most important statistic
0: we may have talked about to date on where where is the you know the rental market headed on a nationwide basis. And this goes much deeper when you're looking at millennials that really don't have the, the same idea of just owning a house and, and living in it for so many years. And you know, that's that's that pride of ownership. It's more about the lifestyle of being closer to amenities, um, not being you know locked down per se in, in one geographic location for a certain period of time and not having that commitment, that financial commitment attached to home ownership. I mean, we've seen renting trends um, and this is co- goes all the way to areas that are developing communities simply based on millennials. We see the same thing um, you know in, in senior housing and that is also true on the flip side is with baby boomers you know, not really wanting to have home ownership and they're fine with renting and they're more they're more uh, keen on being close to certain amenities and things like this or even financially too. they may not be in a position to take out another loan you know, but the social security will pay their, pay their rent. So, um, this is a huge trend that people should be aware of. Like if any time is good to own rental property, it's now there's an extreme (laughs) rental demand and that's not, that's not changing over time. So, uh,
1: this is huge, Adam. Yeah. I mean, just think, wouldn't you love to have a business where in the last, you know, 10 years, you've seen 3.7 million new customers and you're, uh, you know, if you want to call it your competition has only seen 1 million. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good ratio for you as the business owner there. That's a perfect way to look at it. You know,
0: I think we need to highlight this even more so just in the shorter segment. So people are aware, uh, because this is not, you know, not a really a, a trend. I think that most people are fully aware of the impact of what this is going to have, but you're absolutely right. Cause what, what we're doing is owning a rental business. You're, you're building a business when you're investing across multiple different markets. And this is a nationwide statistic of just kind of where our society is, is headed and definitely the type of business that you want to be in.
1: Yeah. So just know, (laughs) even with all the news you've been hearing, it's still a fantastic time to, uh, to be looking at that. And one thing I wanted to talk about finally, before we get into our, how to, how to find a market is this, that we talked about it before, about the big gap between homes that are available and the demand that's there for homes. And this one kind of blew me away. It was from realtor.com talking about the gap between single family construction and household formations. And according to them, the gap is now 5.24 million homes. And they said at the five-year average rate of home completion, the gap will only continue to widen and assuming household formations stay at the rate that they have been for the last five years, the rate of home completion would have to triple to close the gap in the next five to six years. And let me tell you folks, based on all of us building history, it is never going to triple. I mean, that would put us at about 5.1 5.2 million homes per year being built. We've averaged over the past 50 years, about 1.6 or 1.7 million So, this is a gap that is going to be there for a very, very long time.
0: So, break this down in one sentence
1: for our listeners, like, (laughs) what the hell does this mean? Yeah, this this means that the competition you're seeing out there for properties will not be going away for decades. And if the rate that currently exists, if both rates, if our current Population trend continues, and our current building trend continues. It will never go away.
0: We- so just to sum up the past two slides. Basically, what you're telling us, Adam, is that uh, one, there's a significant change in homeownership versus uh, rent renters in, mar- in the market. Right, the percentage of renters over homeowners. There's a there's an extreme trend towards uh, renters. Yes. And, and leasing property versus actual homeownership. And the second piece of this is basically there's a housing shortage in addition to that, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, there's a housing shortage, and currently nothing that is being done is even close to addressing the magnitude of what we've seen. I mean, we, we essentially need every municipality to look at their zoning laws and say, how can we make it easier for home builders or home flippers or whoever? to build and get new homes on the market. And that is just not happening. I mean, it's not happening. I mean, it's happening in very few places in the country, but on a grand scale, it's not happening at all. But if you look at it, nobody's look, nobody in America is looking at it and saying, well, maybe we just shouldn't form new households. You know, people wanna move out of their parents' house as they're growing older. You know, people are still getting married, getting divorced and, you know, causing new household formations and all of that. So our lifestyle trends aren't changing and they're not going to change, but we're not looking at the other side and addressing that side. And because of that, it's going to lead to an even bigger gap. And as the gap continues to widen, the inventory situation is going to stay the same or get worse. And the pressure on home prices is going to continue. So if you think it's unaffordable right now, just, just wait. It's uh,
0: supply it's, and demand. That's what it boils yeah. down to, right? Like anything, it's uh, baseline economics. But so rental increases, um, leasing out for with more competitive leases for longer terms, and seeing appreciation on on values. You know, is I think kind of the the impact, right? And so, like you said, this is this is the a good trend to see when investing in rental properties in this type of business. It's not always like this, but right now, you know, the runway ahead of us is looking very promising.
1: Yeah. And especially one thing I want people to keep in mind. And one of the reasons I keep bringing this up is you you'll see videos out there. You'll see, you'll hear talking heads say, you know, Oh, are we coming to a market crash? <clears throat> you know, in at the end of 2021 or in 2022, and I'm not saying that real estate is never going to experience any bumps on the road. But if you look at the long-term trend of our country and the long-term trend of housing, all of the pressure, everything that's out there is suggesting, is telling you, it's going, I mean, all of the pressure is upwards. You know, there's, there's no downward pressure really out there, except for people's ability to come up with the down payment. That's the biggest potential problem. But if you're an investor and you have the capital available, you're, you know, you're in the driver's seat right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, people need a place to live. This is this housing is a necessity. So there's that aspect of it. And you got to really look kind of breaking down on a microeconomic scale and and what sort of asset class are you investing in? There probably is a price threshold with less buyers uh, at you know the real high end of the markets, right? If you're talking your average <laughs> three to 1950 house, how much can someone realistically pay for that? It can't keep going up forever to three million dollars. I mean, maybe over time, who knows? And that's what we're seeing in certain parts of the country. But we're we're investing strategically in markets that are still affordable. You know, there's a much larger group of people that can come up with twenty to thirty thousand dollars as a down. Payment for a more affordable house, and that has a lot higher runway over time to continually increase in value. So, I mean, that's why we're selecting the locations and that the house
1: prices that we're at, you know, because um, because of the availability. Yeah, and I want to go into that now. You talked about why we're picking the markets we're picking, and so let's talk about in general. If you're a real estate investor and you're looking at the entire country and you're trying to pick a market without just throwing a dart at a map and seeing where to invest. One of the things that is really important and probably one of the most important things you can look at when picking a market, and that is population growth. However, I have to throw in a caveat here because of what we've seen with the pandemic. You can't simply look at the city and see what the population's doing. It's gotten to the point in time now where you have to go look at the city, and see what these surrounding areas are in it and then you have to go to the census and see what are the suburbs doing because if you look you'll see some cities where you'll look at their population and say well it's decreasing why would i ever want to invest in that city and say it's dropped you know 30,000 people in the last 10 years and you think oh well that's not good but then you add in the suburbs <laughs> and the suburbs have grown by 100,000 people you know that's telling you that Maybe you don't, maybe, you know, downtown urban core isn't the place to be, but the market itself, the overall metropolitan area is a place to be, but you want to see a growing population. And that's because as your population grows, like we were just talking about supply and demand, the, if the population is growing, you know, 70,000 in 10 years, well, are they building 70,000 new homes? There's 70,000 new people looking for a place to live and that's going to put upward pressure on your rent. If there's 70,000 people leaving, well, then you've got a problem. You know, then your supply is uh, staying the same or growing and your demand's going down. But I think for me, population is one of the most important things that you can look at when evaluating a market. Absolutely. I mean, right. Again, that goes back to supply and demand.
0: But I want to be very clear that there's a lot of statistics. You got to be careful about how you use information and who it's coming from and how it's being applied. And I used to actually guest lecture at CU Boulder out here in Colorado on this very topic at their economics department, because so many people are so focused on statistical evaluation without applying that to anything. It's like, well, what what does stats even mean or what's the point of having them if we're not looking at a very targeted type of situation? So to your point about the population trends, Adam, we can see population shifting as a whole, people are moving south. They're moving out of extremely populated, extremely expensive areas down to the Sun belt. good weather, good politics, depending on, you know, it's business and landlord friendly, generally speaking, and it's it's more affordable and you still have good weather. Uh, so that's, but what does that mean overall? Just that you you want to focus on the Southeast and the Sun Belt to, to invest? I mean, at a high level potentially, but you got to look very targeted about, specific areas within a city where there's gentrification going on and revitalization. We have people attending city planning meetings to look at what is, what is the next 10 years looking like. Ohio as a whole, the state is losing population, but that doesn't mean that it's a thriving economic area where there's areas you can be successful in. Um, and there's also population shifts within the whole state. And within the city, to your point, within different areas where different jobs or new areas of development are coming up. And so you really have to look at that. Now, that's a lot of information to even begin to try (laughs) to understand or know how to find the right information. But obviously, that's why our team is here to help guide people through matching the right area based on their investment goals and criteria. There's a lot that go into this. Population is important. But of course, we all know that's not the only thing we're looking at. We want to see a diverse economy, an area that's not just reliant on oil and gas. We want to see, you know, these Fortune 500 companies coming in and doing development. We want to see new transportation coming in, new warehouses being built. I mean, these are all good things, creating jobs and actually having a strong, diverse economy that is consistently creating new jobs. I mean, sometimes that doesn't correlate with population shift and it's like, Well, that doesn't always correlate at the same time. One leads to the other sometimes. And so, you know, there's this catch up time. So, again, you got to be cautious about how you're looking at statistics. But other things we look at, in addition to just overall national trends and microeconomic trends, are going to be things like, you know, landlord friendly legislation, low taxes. Looking at areas where the affordability, uh, you know, prices for houses are comparable to the rental values. What kind of rental demand is is there? What kind of housing shortage? A lot of the areas that we're focusing on right now, there is a shortage of houses. Like the average days on market for houses in that one to three hundred thousand dollar range, is is less than a month, which has been, and that's absolutely the case for Florida and a lot of these other markets. That's the lowest we've ever seen in history. And that just parallels to the stats we talked about earlier. But the point is there's a lot of things that go into determining what is the right market to invest in and being conscious of all these things over time. It's, it's not just, it may feel like this at the very beginning because there's so many options, especially when you're speaking with our investment counselors and you're looking at houses, people are more interested to learn about the numbers of the house and less about the market. And I get that, right? If they're comparing (laughs) three different markets and there are three different price points and one has, $50 you know, $50 more a month and a 2% higher ROI. And it's got beautiful picks that may be more attractive to someone. And that's okay. The reality is we, we think it's a good idea. And we try to assist our investors in building a diversified portfolio across multiple markets. So sometimes it doesn't matter so much where you necessarily start. Just understand that we have fundamental criteria that we determine when entering into a market and Coming up with the, the local team, because that's the other aspect of it, right? We can have the best market and the best stats and everything. But if you don't have the local team to facilitate the managerial aspect of it and the rehab, and then that's going to ensure the property is going to be performing long term, I mean, that's over 50% of the battle, sometimes more important than the actual market itself. So without mumbling on too long, I <laughs> guess that's just gives a, paints a picture of what's important to us when we determine a market and all the components that go into really determining what is the right area for you as an investor. And that's what it takes conversation and takes time and that can change over time as well.
1: Yeah. And I think when you're talking about the diversified economy, I think that's also super important because what I like to look at when I look at a market is not just, you know, what's driving that economy, but the other question is how easy is it to lose that industry? You know, if you've got, a situation like, look at Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley, primarily driven by tech. Well, tech can easily move. And if tech leaves Silicon Valley and say, I don't know, let's say, let's pretend it comes to Austin, you know, what happens to Silicon Valley? Well, they get dropped a lot, but if you have tech and transportation and manufacturing and say the government, you know, say it's the state capital, there's a big university that's obviously not going anywhere. When you have those industries that can't go anywhere, or it costs a ton of money to go somewhere, you're really forming a stable base. Because let's be honest, my rental properties are not being rented to a tech worker who's making $200,000 a year. You know, I'm renting to the person who's working at the manufacturing facility or driving a truck for U-Haul or FedEx or something like that. Now you want the tech workers there to boost the local economy and to drive a lot of the other, you know, economic growth there, but you really want to see are there markets Are there economies there that aren't going to go anywhere and are really difficult to pick up and move because that's kind of the base that you want and isn't going to lead to the big crashes that you can see in some of the markets.
0: Very valid point. And especially tech. I mean, aren't we seeing that right now, Adam? (laughs) I mean, realistically speaking, you can only tax big businesses so much and make it so challenging for them to run a viable business that they'll uproot and leave and go to areas where it's much. We're seeing that in, um, you know, Denver right now, and especially in Boulder, there's huge, a huge tech boom, especially coming from Silicon Valley. But I mean, that that's one example of having that diversified economy. Yes, absolutely. Most areas we invest in have colleges and universities. There's areas that have government positions and military bases. I mean, so you're looking at looking at the whole picture and getting a forecast what the next 10 or 20 years looks like and ensuring that if one thing changes, it's not going to have a dramatic impact. And usually trends are, are moving to an area because of certain business legislation or whatever the case is that is going to continue for that to trend to make it more accessible for more businesses over time. I mean, another perfect example that we've seen over the past 10 to 15 years is oil and gas. You know, there's a lot of places that were pretty heavy on oil and gas, and then that can change overnight, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, boom, <laughs> bust cycles there. So just something to be conscious of. And there's, there's another co- Piece of this too, where it's we haven't really talked about it, but actually, some secondary and tertiary markets outside of inner cities, kind of these suburb areas, um, are something that we're seeing people, you know, want to ha- have a rental property where they have a little bit of land, they're just not right next door. I mean, this is a different tenant demographic that doesn't care about being downtown Cleveland or whatever the case is, but. You know, there it's more of a family oriented area and those there's a lot more demand and we're seeing more rental properties pop up in the suburbs, kind of secondary markets, something we're seeing a a huge demand for both for purchase and uh, rental and resale.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially now, you know, when you have the kids home (laughs) from the pandemic and you want to send them outside to the yard to run around and get their energy out, it's pretty hard to do if you're living in a, a small cramped place without a yard so you're mm-hmm. definitely seeing that and then one of the other things i wanted to touch on is just real quick when you're going in and this is obviously just a high level overview of the market just to kind of see you can look and find what the median income is in the market you know you can find that on the through the census website through you know other various websites out there and then just see you know based on your renting criteria say you want three times the uh, rent for their income You can just see will the median income of the area support my rent that I'm looking at for this property, and if it will, then you've got a really big renter pool. (laughs) You know, if it won't, then you have to ask yourself, are there enough people in the area that I'm going into to support the market that there is? So it's just a real quick overview. Obviously, these things for each individual market you have to dive a lot deeper, like Zach was talking about. But if you're looking just for a big overview of is XYZ market the market that I should even really delve into. If you use the principles we've just outlined, you can get a pretty good idea of if it's worth your time or not whenever you're going around. Because, you know, Zach was talking about landlord-friendly legislation. That can help you X off 20 states right there, you know, in your first 20 minutes of uh, research. You know, just look at it and say, nope, not going there, not going there, not going there. And then in each state, you just boil it down and see, you know, is this one, oh, look, this is, you know, that economy is not good. We'll get rid of that. And then you can just go on. And then once you find, you know, a couple of markets, just dive down or you can come to us and we've already done the work for you. So you can always check out what we have going on at renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. You can schedule a call with our investment counselors. They're happy to talk with you about the markets, about the properties that are available, about your investment plan, you know, help you connect with members of a real estate team that you need to be successful. Again, you can find that at renttoretirement.com. Zach, any closing thoughts for the listener? Big part is just getting started. Don't get so hyper-focused on what is the best market
0: to invest in. Any of the markets, like you said, we've done the work for you, not to say that you there's no work to be done and no research. You shouldn't do any research. That will come over time though. You really become familiar with an area I personally believe once you actually invest in an area and you get to know the different you know markets and things like this, we have a baseline criteria for all the locations that we invest there. We're personally invested in these areas for a reason and open them up to our to our investor base once we've been successful and have a proven track record in these areas with our local teams. And so I think that's that gives a lot of confidence to someone to, that really doesn't know where to get started and there's so much information out there. It's it is almost counterproductive sometimes because you're <laughs> getting the shiny objects, object them all over the place and just keep it basic. Look at something that fundamentally have some sort of fundamental criteria. Once you see a property that fits that and you feel comfortable, move forward. You, know, you will not probably own these properties forever. Most people own them between four to six years and then either sell them in 1031, some hold longer, Whatever the case is, as long as you're taking action and moving forward, you're doing the right thing. And we've done a lot of the heavy lifting for you on the front end. So just let us help you and you know educate you throughout the, uh, the process. We also have our markets tab on our website that has a lot of statistical information about each market that we work in.
1: Yeah. And also just remember, based on what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, if let's say, you know, Zach talked about Cleveland, if you go and buy a property in Cleveland and then you realize, well, this isn't exactly the type of property I want. I'd rather be in new construction. In today's industry, you will not have any problem selling that property quickly and moving on to your next one. So in this inventory environment, you've got a a bit of leeway when it comes to your exit strategy, because your exit can be very quick if you need. So again, check us out, renttoretirement.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Rent
0: to Retirement podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing, and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at renttoretirement.com.